We're taking a bit of a, a break today from our rosary sermon series. As the Illuminous Mysteries have concluded, and we don't want to jump the gun just yet on the reflections for the Sorrowful Mysteries, but it does provide for us an opportunity today to reflect specifically on our own practices for the Lenten season and to ensure that we are prepared. Indeed, the traditional Mass provides us the opportunity of donning the violet vestments a few weeks early during Septuagesima Tide to to see and to know that Lent is coming, right? Ash Wednesday will soon be upon us, and so as to prepare our hearts. And so, an invitation for you today to, if you have not already, to ensure that by the end of today, you have your plan for what Lent will look like this year, and not leave it till tomorrow or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, uh, as easily can happen with us, right? And so I want to reflect today upon those, those three characteristic traits of the Lenten season, of prayer and fasting and almsgiving. And I likely gave this sermon last year and the year before, and it's a common thing. I like to give this sermon regularly because sometimes it will happen that we hear something at Mass that we haven't heard before. Uh, in my previous assignment, I, I would preach on this passage every single year, I preach on this, this message every single year, the same homily essentially, time after time after time. Uh, and then it was in my, just about my final year as, as the pastor uh, where we had a, a mission preacher come in, and he came and he, and he spoke about these things, uh, and someone came to me, they're like, wow, I've never heard that before. That was fantastic. And I said, I've literally preached that every single Lent to the time I've been here. So, if you've heard it before, God be praised. And if you haven't heard it before, you might have actually heard it before, but you might be hearing it for the first time again today, question mark. So, for the sake of it being said nonetheless, and us emphasizing once again the importance of these three practices, for us to be able to go back and to reflect upon the reason why we pray and fast and give alms. And so we'll speak about it in four layers, so to speak. The foundation of this is, of course, Adam and Eve in the fall. Adam and Eve, we know, are told not to eat of the fruit of the tree in the center of the garden. And so always the temptation is, whenever, whenever someone tells you not to do something, your innate human nature says, well, I feel like I need to do that thing anyway. And then we find reasons why it's a good idea. And so, the evil one comes along and begins to tempt Eve, and Adam is certainly there alongside, we can, we can gather from the text, but tempting Eve in particular. And there are three specific things that the Scripture notes that Eve thought as she was experiencing these temptations. She saw that the tree was good for food. Certainly, it would taste good, huh? If it was, if it was something that, that there was forbidden, the Lord certainly must think it's that good, we shouldn't have it. Secondly, Eve sees that it is pleasing to the eyes. It's a beautiful tree and beautiful fruit. Who wouldn't want to possess it for oneself? And thirdly, that the tree, by consuming, makes one wise. And this is what the evil one tempts Eve there as well, is whenever he comes to be able to, to offer his temptation, he, of course, being a liar, he says, well, God didn't want you to eat that because he knows that when you eat of it, you'll be like him, right? Self-exaltation. And so, these three things, 
good for food, pleasing to the eyes, and it makes one wise. These are the thoughts that enter into the mind of Eve, and she consumes, and thus the fall. And as the early church fathers spoke, the fall of humanity in the persons of Adam and Eve is for us uh, a knot that has been tied in our soul. And as we often speak on, on this, the feast of our Blessed Mother, the only way to untie a knot is to go back and undo the loops. You don't tie more knots into it and just hope for the best. You don't just cut it off and start things fresh, but rather to be able to undo it in the same manner that it was done. And so, the Lord God, knowing these things, does this. And thus we have, as we'll read soon in the sacred scriptures, the account of our blessed Lord as he is tempted in the desert. Our Lord goes, as he is he's called, he is baptized in the Jordan by John, and then he is led by the Spirit into the desert. And there he is tempted, and he fasts for 40 days. There are three temptations, and not for no reason, of course, but for very good reasons. First, the evil one comes along, and our blessed Lord has been fasting for some 40 days. He certainly has been a bit hungry. I think most of us experience uh, kind of rather being rather of ill temperament uh, on Ash Wednesday evening after just having fasted for half a day at that point and having the rumblings in our stomach longing for food once again. And so he comes to tempt our blessed Lord, and he says, you have the power to make these stones bread. It would be good for food, right? It would be tasty. You're hungry. No one will even know. No one's around. No one can see. No one has to know even. It would be good for you. And the Lord rejects this and rebukes the evil one. And thus unties the first knot, that which Eve saw was good for food. Secondly, our Lord is taken to a high mountain where he's shown all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan shows him how beautiful it is. It can all be yours. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to, you don't have to go and do the teachings. You don't have to do all the, all the things that, that will be ahead of you. You can simply bow before me right now, and I will give you all of it. You can have it. It will be all yours. You won't even really have to give it over to your father. It can be yours. And the Lord rebukes him once again. Thus untying the second knot, that Eve saw that things were pleasing to the eyes, namely that they were good to possess for oneself. And then thirdly, our Lord is taken to the parapet of the temple, the the top of the temple, and told that if you jump down, the angels will catch you. The scriptures account to this. They attest to this fact. And Jesus, if you jump down from the temple and the angels caught you, think of what notoriety we'd have. It's so public. Everyone would see. People would be drawn to you, your, your fame, that you want to draw people to you, right? This would be the way to do it. They would truly know that you are the Son of God. And again, you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to do all those other things. You can simply show your glory here and now. And again, the Lord rebukes him and thus is untied that third knot in our nature, that we look to things that make us wise and exalt us, and to be able to ultimately, to be able to choose things for ourselves rather than to submit to the will of God. And thus, the three knots are undone. 
But it doesn't mean that we have just immediately returned to a state of original glory, original justice, original holiness, original anything. We are saved, yes, but there is still concupiscence, which is the result of the fall. That concupiscence, which is kind of like our cars, whenever the wheels are not in alignment and we keep tending to the right, and you keep having to pull the wheel to be able to make sure you stay right on track. It's the same thing with our soul. It's on account of concupiscence, there are things by, by our very, by our, by our very um, kind of twisted nature that has been twisted on account of our sin, we are inclined towards sin. We have a longing for it in some strange sense. And so there is a remedy that must continue to be a present within us. St. Paul speaks of this, this nature of the concupiscence within the human heart, and this being the third layer. St. Paul speaks of the triple concupiscence, those three things, again, not for no reason, that happen within the soul, those three inclinations, which one of which is our root sin. All of us have a predominant fault, a thing that is the main sin that manifests all the other sins within our life, and we get some of the others as well, but there's a root, um, there's one particular one that is, is ours, so to speak. But he says that there are three of them from which we suffer, one of which most seriously The three are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life. The lust of the flesh, a desire for comforts, a desire for the pleasure, whether of food or of drink or of entertainment. The lust of the eyes, a desire for things, to place our trust in things, a desire to possess, and thus finding our worth in what we possess whether in the size of our, of our home, the size of our bank account, the size of our retirement account, the size of our possessions, the size of our honor, our notoriety, the size of the, the likes we get on social media and this, that, and the other thing, all of this falls under the path of the eyes, the lust of the eyes, of gaining for oneself, possessing for oneself. And lastly, that pride of life, the exaltation of self, of making self more than what we actually are and who we are called to be, essentially trying to set God and his will aside so that we, in our own infinite wisdom, we say, can be able to rule. And so, there must be a remedy to these things. And this is what Mother Church wisely gives to us in prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. To the remedy of that thing where we struggle with that same temptation of Eve, that we see things that are good for food, Mother Church calls us to fast, to set aside things that are tasty for us, to fast in particular, but also to be able to abstain from meats, to be able to abstain from other things which we usually take up during the Lenten season, sweets, coffee, entertainment, these kinds of things. To be able to fast from these things is to be able to acknowledge the fact that indeed they may be good for food, but I don't have to have it. I can go without, and I can choose something otherwise. I need not be determined by these things. It is to renounce comfort and to pursue the cross, and to know that with the cross there is always great fruits for us in heaven. Mother Church calls us to give alms as well. I was struck, I, was, uh, I went on uh, a bit of travels this week and went to, flew up to LaGuardia Airport in New York. And LaGuardia has redone their, they've redone their terminal. And so normally before you get up there and you, and you go and, and you, you arrive, 
uh, and then, you know, you have to, there, the, the gates, and the stores are off to the side, but there's the main thoroughfare, you can pass the stores up pretty quickly. But LaGuardia has done a thing that happens in other places as well, where you literally have to walk through the stores. They weave the sidewalk through the stores themselves. There's no escaping it whatsoever. And of course, they're trying to, to tempt you to buy the I Heart New York t-shirt and the the box of candies or whatever, the $20 bag of beef jerky, because, you know, the peanuts you're going to get on the plane are not, you know, that's not going to satisfy, right? And so you, you walk through and there's all these shiny things and how much the temptation is to try to gain for oneself. And right? they, they know that, they're feasting on that. And this is the, the thing for us, is it is, is a normal temptation for us to want to gain things for ourselves, to be prepared for the future, to be ready Whatever may come, we're going to be ready because I've got the stores filled up, right? How much we can easily place our trust in our things and our home and our wealth and our whatever when in fact the Lord calls us to give these things rather than to gain for oneself. We are called to give alms, to give generously, to be able to share with those who are most in need, showing that, that highest of virtues so spoken of today in our first reading, that of charity, to be able to show charity. And so we give alms. And then lastly, Mother Church calls us to pray and emphasizes this importance of prayer, typically by an increase in opportunities for prayer. And so we come because prayer is simply an acknowledgement that I am not God. The temptation is that we make ourselves wise, that we make ourselves like gods, that we can come and we can easily set before the Lord the manner of how things ought to be done. Who among us hasn't thought, had the thought, if I were God, I might do things a little bit differently here? It's a normal thing for us to be able to, to exalt ourselves, to place our own will above that of our fathers. But prayer is for us acknowledgement that we are not God, we are not equal to Him, we are His children. We must follow Him, we must follow His will to submit ourselves to Him. This is what prayer teaches us. During the Lenten season, again, it is for us to take up this prayer and fasting and almsgiving and to take them up all three. Indeed, it is for us all to make sure that we are doing these things with regularity in the life of our faith. It's not as if the devil takes off for 10 months of the year and then, and then kind of realizes, oh, Ash Wednesday's coming, I better get busy. How nice that would be. But it's for us to ensure that we are doing these things all throughout the year, fighting against the temptations that he sets against us, but in a particular way during the Lenten season to take these things up with greater force, knowing the grace that is offered to us so generously by the church and by the sacraments and by the sacramentals and devotions given to us during this holy season. And so it is for us to do these things, all three. Our blessed Lord, in one of the gospels, there's the story of the disciples who go out and they're trying to exercise the demon out of the man and they're coming up empty. They pray and pray and pray and nothing happens. And they come to him rather exasperated about the whole thing. And he says, the reason is this one only comes out with fasting and prayer. The two together have greater strength. And if we add almsgiving, the gift of charity to it, how much the stronger. And so as we come to offer this holy mass, to enter once more into these sacred mysteries, it's for us to rejoice 
that we have an antidote to the poison of our soul, that we have strength that is there for us in times of temptation, that there is an answer that we can make to the enemy's temptations when he comes prowling about us like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. And they are prayer and fasting and almsgiving. Let us pray for the discernment to know what it is that the Lord would have us do during this Lenten season, to have the courage to say yes to his will, and to pray for the grace to persevere in these observances by his strength.